This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you very much. Always feel very welcome here in Baltimore. One of the biggest crowds that we get for Avinu Malkin was here. And the rabbi takes so good care of me. Um, it's a nice trip to Baltimore from New York. Or Hashem, I get here always very rested. My brother-in-law drives and I'm pretty much sleeping the whole time. And... Um, it's Erev, Erev Rosh Hashanah, and I'm, I told he's always scared the rabbi that I'm going to be repetitive, because I don't remember how many years, I must be here nine years already, eight, huh? Six years, see, it feels like I was here nine years. Um, and he's always worried I'm going to repeat a story that I said before, but Baruch Hashem, tonight everything is totally new, even Torah anytime doesn't have this year yet. So you're getting it brand new. We're going to go back. What? We're good? You can send it in, yes. Um, no, they don't deserve to get it. It's just for Baltimore people. So we're going to go back a Pasha, actually two Pashas, to Pasha's Kiseitse. Pasha's Kiseitse talks about a kid who's off the derech. You know, everyone thinks that this is something new. Children that are off the derech. Um, they, they have an expression for everything today. They have letters, so they're called OTDs, um, off the derechs. Um, but the Torah didn't have letters for it, but they called him a Ben Sayyidimaira. And he, according to Halacha, the Ben Sayyidimaira, which never happened, we'll talk about that in a moment, was between, the, was between the ages of 12 and a half and 13. It's not, when we learn it, people think, it's a 17-year-old kid, it's a 19-year-old kid, it's a 16-year-old kid. No, the halacha is Ben Sarimaira is only between 12 and a half and 13 years old. What is he doing wrong? Number one, he's eating a crazy amount of meat. He's only 12 and a half years old. He's drinking a lot of wine. He totally does not listen and is rebellious towards his parents. And... On top of that, he's a ganaf. He's 12 and a half years old, and he's already stealing. So the Torah tells us to, that you have to take this child, actually his parents have to take the child, and stone him, actually kill him. His own parents have to stone him. And the Zikne Iro, the rabbis of the town that he lives in, have to also be part of the stoning. Sounds horrible. It is horrible. Imagine... That the halach is that a parent has to stone their own child. So Baruch Hashem, when we learn about Ben Shairu Moira, everyone takes a deep breath and says, it never happened. So it's a sad story, but it's a story that never happened. And now we, without a Bezdin, you can't have a Ben Shairu Moira, which means it never happened, it's not happening, and it won't happen. So no such thing ever happened. Well, that brings up a big question. Why would the Torah talk about something that never happened and never will happen? It sounds like a waste of time if it's not going to happen. So it must be that it's theoretical, this whole story, and it's here to teach us because the Torah is forever. It's, it's a life. It talks about life. It, it's here to teach us something about such a child if there was such a child. I want to read to you from inside... It's probably one of the, it's by me as a machanech, one of the greatest 
Dvar Torahs that I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard, Baruch Hashem, a lot of Dvar Torahs. This one sticks. And it says the following. Ki ish ben If a man has a child that's a rebellion, that's off the derech, that's eating this meat and drinking this wine and he's just an aganaf. He doesn't listen to the voice of his father and the voice of his mother. The Yisro also, and they discipline him. Seems to be that when your children are not listening, it's time to start disciplining. There is unconditional love, and there's a lot of talk about unconditional love. But you see from the Torah that there is such a thing as the Yisro also. Doesn't mean to beat him up. Doesn't mean to hurt him. But you got to You got to criticize. You got to You got to muster him. You got to You got to discipline your children. But it doesn't seem to have helped. And the Torah tells us, So they gave him Musr, they disciplined their child, but he didn't listen to them. Two major questions on this passage. Number one, it says, if a man had a child, he wasn't listening to his mother, he wasn't listening to his father, right? And then they gave him Musr, and he's not listening to him. You already told me in the beginning of the Pasuk that this child is not listening to his parents. Why are you telling me again that he's not listening to his parents? Number one. Number two, there's an extra word here. It says, He's not listening to the voice of his father, and the voice of his mother. It should say, He's not listening to the voice of his father and his mother. Why does it say uvakol aviv uvakolim? So the two questions. Says the Katskareva, don't ever forget this Torah. He says, you're reading the Pasik wrong. How is it possible that a mother and a father have a child at 12 and a half years old? That's so off the derech. How could it happen? Le'ish, that a man could have such a child. Twelve and a half years old? He's stealing? He's drinking wine? He's eating meat? He's not listening to his parents? He's only twelve and a half years old? So the Kutzka Rebbe says, Ki'iyeh, how could this happen? Says the Torah, E'nenu sh'oymeah b'kol imo. Why is he off the derech? Because he never hears his parents' voices. They don't talk to him. They don't give him attention. They don't communicate with him. He's 12 and a half years old, and they're busy talking to their friends. They're busy on their phones, and I'm not talking iPhones. Not my share this year. You heard enough of that already for me. Kosher phones. doesn't matter what the phone is. He doesn't hear his parents. They're busy with everyone else but him. The Yisrael also. When does he hear his parents? When they're disciplining him. Why did you do this? Why are you late? Why are you this? He never hears a loving word. His father and mother don't take out time to talk to him. So when they finally talk to him, it's only negative communication. Says the Torah that if there are parents who don't talk to their children 
And the only time they talk to their children is when they're disciplining them. Says the Torah, below Yishma Alehem. I guarantee you, he will not listen to you. This is a Kutzkevart. So even though there was never a Ben Seiro Moira, the Torah is telling us that if you want a child off the derech, don't talk to him. Just musr him. Just give him the negative stuff. Why am I going back into Pashas Kisetse when we're talking about El? He answers the second question also beautifully. And he says, the reason it says, Einenu Shemeya Bekal Aviv, Uvakal Imal, the second Uvakal, is that the father and the mother have to have the same call. You cannot be coming from two different ways where the mother says it's okay and the father says it's not okay. Or the father says it's okay and the mother says it's not okay. As a parent, the, the message to your child has to be the same from the two of you. If you don't agree, work it out in the bedroom. Work it out outside of the house. But when you present to your children... You have to present to your children together as one. Or else they'll manipulate and they'll get between the two of you and they won't get a clear message. And therefore, the word call is by both the mother and the father. They each one have a call, but the call has to become one call, one voice, one message to our children. And the reason that I'm talking to you about this in Elul is we have spoken specifically in Baltimore many, many, many times. I've spoken to you about the most precious thing that we have. I talk about it every year. The most precious thing that we have is time. Without time, there is no life. You can live without water for a second, for sure. You can live without food for a long time. You can live without breathing. You can hold your breath for two minutes. A girl in my seminary said, you can't live without love. There are many people that unfortunately live without love. And another girl told me, you can't live without God. There are many atheists in the world. The one thing, ladies and gentlemen, that you cannot live without for even a millionth of a second is time. When you have no more time, you are no longer alive. So the most precious thing that everyone in this room has is time. And therefore, when you're willing to give, and we'll talk about this tonight a lot, when you're willing to give the most precious thing you have to someone else, that means you love them. Buying them jewelry and cars and all the other things is not time. If you have money, it's not such a hard thing to swipe the credit card. But to give another human being your time, it's extremely hard. And many times when I do Shalom Bayis, the thing that comes up all the time, I always let the woman talk first. I'm smart in that way. And I ask her what's going on, and every lady says the same thing. Wallerstein, my husband, they wouldn't be coming to talk to me otherwise. My husband, whether they're married 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 30 years, 40 years, or three months. Wallerstein, my husband doesn't love me anymore. It's very sad to hear a woman say that. And every husband reacts the same way. You see, this is the problem. No matter what I do, she says I don't love her. This is the problem, Rabbi Wallerstein. And I'm like, young lady, 
explain to me what you mean by love. What does that word mean to you? Does he not come home early? What does it mean? And every woman says the same thing. To me, the reason I got married to, to my husband is because I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him, which means I want to spend the rest of my time with him. And he doesn't give me any time. He's either playing ball, learning, out with his friends, or working. He doesn't give me time. And every guy's like, I don't understand my wants. I don't know what she wants from me. I pay the mortgage. I don't know why guys say that. But I pay the mortgage. I pay the bills. And she's like, that doesn't mean you love me. That doesn't mean you love me. By the way, my father used to pay the bills, and he also bought me a car. Big deal. I want your time. It's so sad to watch a woman tell that to a man. I just want your time. And guys are very uncomfortable when they're told that. And I, I'm, I'm a Shalom Bias guy. I'm like, this is very simple. She doesn't even need therapy. She's, she knows how to communicate. She's able to say what, what she wants. It's fantastic. So I'm like, listen, guys, I can fix this. Three days, go away. Just the two of you. Leave me your phones and leave me your kids. They're like, we'll leave you our kids, but we're not leaving our phones. <laughs> it's not so funny. Trust me. There's a, there was a, a write-up in Time magazine. They asked of, I don't know, a 1,000 or 2,000 Americans, how does it feel when you realize that you went to work and you left your phone at home? What's the feeling when you don't have your phone and you check your pocket and it's not there? And everyone said, I feel extremely insecure. Not only I feel insecure, I feel extremely disconnected. Even though you could talk to people... Why are you insecure? What, they're, they're bombing New York? Like, what, why are you insecure? But that was their answer. And then a therapist said something very interesting. He said, today's phone is a human being. He didn't say this. I'm translating it into Yiddish. A human being's tsumi. You know what a tsumi is? Tsumi is a pacifier in Yiddish. Is there anything in the pacifier? You put the kid's screaming. You put the tsumi in the pacifier. The, the infant starts to suck on the pacifier, but it's a piece of rubber. There's nothing in it. Why does the baby stop crying? There's nothing in it. We don't give them candy pacifiers. Because when it's sucking on the pacifier, it feels like that it's with its mother. So that security of sucking, even though there's nothing in it, gives them the security to stop crying. Time Magazine wrote that the adult human being's pacifier today is a phone. It's not a human, but it gives a person a feeling of safety and security. Why am I talking about a phone? Because in the end of the day, in Mitzvah Hashem next week, you're going to come Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, we get judged, and Yom Kippur, we get sealed. But it's very hard, once you're judged, guilty or not guilty, to change it. It's sort of an appeals court. Once the jury says something, then to get to the appeals court, it's a little bit harder to change. Much better if on Rosh Hashanah, you're already a tzaddik, not a benini, and you already get into the, the book of life. What is everyone in this room asking for on Rosh Hashanah? You're asking for panasa. You're asking for 
a shidduch. You're asking for healthy and happy children. You're asking for shalom bayis. You have a whole list of names of people who are sick. You're asking for refuah shalema. We all come with a grocery list. But those are all details. Because if you're not alive, you don't need a shidduch. You're not going to have children, and you can't go to work. So all the details that you're asking for, whatever they are, are worthless if you don't have time. So what we're really asking for, before we get to the details, is something called chayim, which is life. What is life? Life is time. So that's what we really all are asking for. And then, once Hashem says, Chaim, okay, now that I'm going to be alive, by the way, give me the keys to the car. I'm not alive, what am I asking for? So we're all asking for the same thing. And the way it works in Shemayim is Mida connected Mida. If you're asking for time, if you're asking for money, they're going to look at how you spent your money that Hashem gave you. Did you give tzedakah? Did you give miser? Did you, you know, did you spend it on your children? Like, how, did you buy svarim? How'd you use your money? If you're asking for life, they're going to ask you, how did you use your life? How did you use your time? The older people like me in our generation, so we didn't have a problem that everybody else today has this problem. And that is that when you come in Shemayim, your soul asks for time. The Satan, who's the prosecuting angel, he says, so she wants or he wants 365 days times 24 hours times 60 minutes times 60 seconds. By the way, I do with my class that if a man wears tzitzes, the easiest mitzvah in the world, just put him on, from when he's 13 years old and he dies at 90, it's one billion seconds. You come to Shemayim, you have one billion mitzvahs, you don't even know what you did. Anyone who doesn't wear tzitzes is out of their mind. It's the easiest mitzvah. Now, the women are sitting here and they're like, oh, here we go, Rabbi. This Judaism bet all for the men. We're going to come up there. We don't get nothing. He gets a bill. My husband has a billion mitzvahs, and I don't have no wear tzitzes. Says the Kavayasha ladies. That tzitzes, when we wear tzitzes, it says in the Pesach, you're going to look at them, and you're going to remember. So the Kavayasha says that a woman... When she's at Snua, when she gets dressed the way she's supposed to, it's the same mitzvah as tzitzes. Because when she looks in the mirror and she sees that she's dressed like a Jewish woman's supposed to be dressed, she remembers, I'm a princess, Hashem. The same way a man remembers by looking at tzitzes, the mitzvah of Hashem and Hashem, when a woman is dressed correctly, she gets the same every second. She's at Snua, she gets a mitzvah. So I tell my girls, once again, the girls have a better deal than us. Because you start counting your minutes and seconds when you're 12. And we start when we're 13. Everyone thinks it's a chauvinistic religion. It's just the opposite. The woman is the one who decides if the child is Jewish or not. The woman starts at 12. We first start at 13. They get a head start. The woman says, Shosani Kitsono, that I am the will of Hashem. Rabbi Wallerstein can't make that bracha. It's a bracha levatola. Rav Chaim Kainesky, with all respect to all the ladies in this room, might be a little greater than some of you. He's the Gadol Hadar. 
But if he gets up in the morning and says, Shasani Kitsono, it's a brachal of Atala. But every girl in this room, every girl, every woman in this room can stand tomorrow morning and say, Bless thee, Hashem, I am your will. Rav Chaim can't say, I am your will. No man in this room can say, I am your will. We can only say, thank you, Hashem, that I'm not a woman because women don't have as many mitzvahs as I do. That's it. You are the rutzen of Hashem. You're on a much higher level than a man. The reason you're a Sani Kitsono is a woman is a nurturer, a creator, and a protector. And that is the rutzen of Hashem. The way she's created physically and emotionally, she nurtures the child. She creates the child. She carries the child. She protects her child. The man is the hunter. He's none of those three. We're not built physically to be one of those three. A woman is on a much higher level than a man. People walk around. I remember, I I don't want to say where I was, but in a very modern, modern Jewish community, and they asked me to talk to the women, and the main thing was that they felt that Judaism was a chauvinistic religion. When I got finished with them, they were like, it's the most not chauvinistic religion in the world because the woman decides that the children is the child is Jewish. A man can learn, can learn and learn. If his wife is a guy, child's a guy. A woman can be not from or anything else, but she gets married and the child's a Jew. So it's more, definitely more leaning towards women than it is towards men. And therefore, I'm sorry to lay this on the ladies tonight. But if that's, if that's who you are, Shasani Kitsono, that you are the will of God, then when you make that brach in the morning, you have to look at yourself and say, am I really the will of God? Am I making a bracha levatala? Is that, am I acting correctly? Is this what Hashem, am I a creator? Am I a nurturer? Am I a protector? To be a creator, a nurturer, a protector takes a lot of time. Am I giving my children the time that they need or am I on the phone all day with my friends in my snapshot? In my WhatsApp, what am I doing with my time? Of course, the men have the same question. Because when you get up there in Shemayim on Rosh Hashanah, and you say, I want another year of time, the Satan says, really? You want another year of time? Well, let's show the jury and the judge how this person used their time last year. You know what he posts up on the screen, Rosh Hashanah night? All the minutes that you used on your technology. All the wasted time that you used on the man-made world. We are asking God to keep us for another year in the godly world that he created. Not in the world that the man created of a piece of metal that has no feelings and no care and no love and no emotion and no spirituality. Even if you dive in with your phone and you drop it on the floor, there's no mitzvah to kiss it. There's no kedusha. The words on it have absolutely no kedusha. And therefore, I'm very anti guys who stand in shul and dive in from their phones, because oisios maskimos and la halacha they're not oisios. Therefore, you can erase things that are on your phone. They're not considered real words. You can go with your phone into the bathroom. But you have in the phone, and in the information in the phone, you have Shisha Surya Mishnah. You have Shas. You have all the Tfilos. You have Tehillim. How come you can go into the bathroom with your phone? And the answer is, you don't really have it. Well, you wouldn't be able to go into the bathroom with your phone. So we traded in a world 
that God gave us five senses for. A world to be connected to Hashem through a flower, through a fruit, through the letters in our Gemara, through sounds, through sight. He gave us eyes to see Him. He gave us ears to hear the beautiful songs of our children and to listen to the davening and the learning and all the beauty that we have that we could do with our ears. He gave us eyes to see the things that we're supposed to see. He gave us hands to hug our children. And instead, we're taking our life and we're using it with a machine. And therefore, the night of Rosh Hashanah is a very tough night today on the human being because of technology. God forbid that the Satan is able to say that out of the 365 days times 24 times 60 times 60 that this person was given last year, half of that was used in a world that God did not create. It's a very hard din v'chashben. And therefore, I am begging everyone in this room, for your sake, if you're coming in front of God and Rosh Hashanah, you have a couple of days left to show that maybe I made a mistake. Hashem, I didn't use the time that you gave me correctly. But in the next 10 days or 5, 7 days, whatever it is, I'm going to use it correctly. I'm going to show you that I already understand how to use it for next year. And how should you use it? Number one, use the phone less. Come home from work. It doesn't, I'm not talking about iPhones now. I'm talking about kosher phones. Because kosher phones use exactly the same time. People are on their phones all the time on their kosher phones. Come home, husbands and wives and children, and a basket in the kitchen, and put your phones in the basket for the first hour that, da- that daddy's home. The family is the family. No phones. The phones are off. Yes, it's very hard to look at your phone in the middle of the table and realize that there's probably a million people trying to reach you and they can't. But nothing has changed. Three days are coming up. Three days Rosh Hashanah. For three days you won't have a phone. We have three days Yantif. What happened? Did the world, was the world destroyed? Did anything happen on Shabbos? 26 hours. Thank you very much. 26 hours. My, my, um, camels, by the way. Hello, Eliezer. My camels are out there. Okay. I usually, it's a girl that brings it up and I'm like, Rifka, you're doing a good job. Okay. Thank you. So if the din that we're going through is time, we have a couple of days to show Hashem that we took our phones when we came home and daddy and mommy showed the children, you're more important than my phone. And don't leave it on vibrate because if that thing starts vibrating, that basket, everyone's going to jump in. My phone, your phone, their phone. You have to turn it off and look at each other. Spend time with each other because that's what you want next year. You're not asking Hashem for a year of a phone. You want healthy children for what? So you could talk to them, so you could hug them, so you cannot have a Ben Sairu Moira, that he will hear the voice of his mother and his father, not the voice on the phone and the phone ringing, but the voice of his mother and father. This is what we're going to ask for. And the Satan's going to take out all your stuff, all the wasted time that you had, and he's going to say to Hashem, this is who you're giving it to? He's wasting half the time on a phone. He's wasting his whole time on a phone or in watching movies. This is the din. Because what you ask for, 
Whatever it is, that's Mida Kenegamida. That's what they're going to judge you on. And we're all asking for the same thing. Every human being in this world, this Rosh Hashanah, is asking, what do you mean, Rabbi Wallace? All my kids are married. What do you mean I'm asking for the same thing? That's a detail. You're asking for life. You're asking for time. You're asking for love. That's not the detail. Elul. It's called Elul. Doesn't make any sense. I remember when I learned this in the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch the first time. I was this, I, I think I was at that time in 10th grade. We had just finished Romeo and Juliet by Shakespeare. I'm like, how did that get into the Shulchan Aruch? I'm to my loved one and my loved one is to me. Sounds like Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. It's Elul! It should be Anila Hashem, the Hashem Lee! Same letters, Aleph, Aleph Lamed, Vav Lamed. What do you mean my loved one? This is Elul, I'm going to get judged for my life. If I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be sick, if I'm going to lie, be alive, not alive. To my loved one, I need Hashem, I'm to you Hashem. Hashem is to me. But it seems to be that Chazal is like, no, that's not going to work. If you're going to come to court, Rosh Hashanah, and you're going to get judged like a human being in front of God, you don't have a chance. No way. The Malachim don't even understand the human being. God gave you everything and this is what you do. You don't have a chance. The only chance you have is if you have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a very interesting Zayar. Very deep. And the Zayar says, it's very, very deep. That there are people, there are women and men on Rosh Hashanah that the Neshama goes in front of God and the Satan who stands there and prosecutes every one of us, because he's the guy that got you to do it, and then he took a picture of you doing it. Miserable, miserable angel. It says that after you do a sin for the first second, you feel guilty. Why? Because the minute you do the Avera that he talked you into, he runs up to God and rats on you, and says, God, you know what he did? I have a picture of what he did. While he's gone ratting on you, you only have Yeh Tov. So when you only have a to tov because the Yetzirah went to tell what you did, you feel bad. But he comes right back. It takes one second. And you're like, ah, it wasn't so bad because he's back. He's the worst. He talks you into it. He takes a picture of it. He prosecutes you on it. And then God forbid if he wins, he takes his soul. Miserable guy. And the Zoya says, ladies and gentlemen, that there are some human beings, neshamas, that come in front of Hashem and the satan shakes. And when the Bezdin Shalmaila says, okay, prosecute whoever this person is, the satan doesn't say one word. He says, I rest my case. I have nothing to say. Can you believe that? He rests his case. He has nothing to say. You don't get judged. It's innocent. There's no prosecution. There's no witnesses. There's nothing. Says the Zayar, why would the Satan, who worked so hard to get us to do an Avera, rest his case? And it says something amazing. I am so jealous of these people. It says a marshal of a king and queen. The king loved his wife very, very much. And she messed up. She made a mistake. She stole something, whatever it was, punishable by death. And the police caught her. 
and they come to the DA, prosecution, and they're like, listen, um, the punishment for what the princess did is she has to be hung. So we need you to come to court to prosecute. And they're like, are you crazy? You think I'm going to prosecute the queen to be hung? The king will have my head before the first word comes out of my mouth, I'll be hung. I won't, you will kill me. I should prosecute. No way. Find a different prosecutor. And they go from prosecutor to prosecutor. They're all like, I should, the queen, the king loves it. I should, he's going to kill me and my kids and my whole family and burn my house down. How dare you go after my queen? And the Zoya says, same thing with the, the prince. The prince did something wrong. And now they want to prosecute. He wants to, the, the prince should be prosecuted. The king's only child. He only has one child. If he, if he hangs him, he has no more children. What prosecutor is going to get up against the king's child? That's what he says. So he says when someone has a relationship with Hashem on that level, the satan is scared he'll get his head cut off if he even opens his mouth about that person. Wow, to be on such a level. Wow, to be on a level that your HaKadosh Baruch Hu's loved wife or loved only child because by Hashem every child is an only child. Wow, to be on that level that the satan says, uh-uh-uh, no, no, let him go. Bye. Have a good life. I have nothing to say. So the Chachamim understood this. And the Chachamim understood that you don't have a chance without a relationship. So when Elul develop a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so you'll be the one, the prosecution will say, I'm not messing with this one. I need li. I am to my loved one. I have a relationship with Hashem. And Hashem has a relationship with me. <coughs> but who takes the first step? So in my... When I, when I, when I deal with, um, Shalom Bias. So, there are also women, I don't know if women complain a lot, but a little bit they complain. And they're like, you know, my husband also doesn't express his emotions. He never tells me he loves me. I get this all the time. And the guy says, Rabbi, Rabbi, she knows I love her. Why do I have to say it? All the time. How do you answer a very religious Jewish man that question? Because sort of, when we grow up very from the word love, like I remember my daughter was going out and she got engaged. So he wrote her a card right before they got married. And the shyly is, until you're married, you let her write that word. So he sort of wrote, best regards. <laughs> Your chasen. Sincerely yours, truly yours, anything but love. It's not yeshivish. Except, it's a big mistake. I don't know about writing to a girl before you're married. Maybe it's correct. Maybe it's Loshen Chiba. And Loshen Chiba, you should wait till after you're married. But after you're married, don't write to steal yours. <laughs> Where do you see Loshen Chiba? This is beautiful. This is so beautiful. I think it's from Rabbi Shimshim Pincus. And this is what I tell them in the Shalom Bayis. God asks us to love him. In Kriyashma, right? Rahafta, Bacholavavcha. But before Hashem asks any of us to love Him, He first tells us that He loves us. He would never ask us to love Him without Him telling us that He loves us. So before you say Shema Yisrael in the morning, you say, Hashem, ba'amo Yisrael ba'ahava. I chose you, my nation Yisrael, with love. I love you. Now could you love me back? At night, before you say Kriyashma, Baruch Hashem, 
Ohev Amo Yisrael. Blessed are you, Hashem. I love my nation, Yisrael. I love you, Kla Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, could you love me back? He doesn't say, Shema Yisrael, and then I love you. He first expresses, God first expresses his love to us, and therefore, he has a right to ask us to love him. But if you don't tell me you love me, why do I need to tell you that I love you? Maybe you don't even love me, and I'm putting my emotions out on the table, and I'm going to get hurt. So in Tefillah, Hashem expresses his love and then asks us. So I tell this to all the men. I'm like, Hashem wants us to learn from him. He doesn't ask us to love him unless he expresses his love first. So how come you're not? But in Elo, it's flipped. It's we make the first move. We get down on one knee and say, will you marry me? I kneel a I'm making the move. But I'm not scared to make the move because Lee, I'm not going to say, will you marry me? And he's going to say, are you crazy? I'm not interested. Guys are, you know, girls don't even know this. We're very nervous when we propose. People used to get down on one knee. This generation gets, for some reason, has to get down on both knees. And they have all their friends and they go to the beach and they put the roses out and the lights and all the things. And the guy's like, I'm going to propose. And all the guys get the whole chevron and yeshiva and they come up, every guy, they come up with a whole new thing. I don't know if any, with the roses and this and that. And imagine he gets there and he says, well, he doesn't have to get down on one knee. We don't do that. But he says, you know, will you marry me? And she goes, no way. <laughs> and all his friends are standing there and like, uh-oh. Put out the candles, gather the roses. And Elo and I, now nah, we're not worried. Anila Daidi, I love you, Hashem. And I know, in my heart, because of what you did for me this past year, because of the life that you gave me, I know, Udaidi Lee, you're into me as much as I'm into you. And that's the relationship you need to take into court. It's Shoshana night. And I'm not going to just leave you with that. I'm going to tell you how. And then... Ishlari Ehu, Umatanas Levionim is also Elo. What does Shlachmanas have to do with Elo? Nobody gives Shlachmanas in Elo. It sounds like the rabbis were looking for an Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. They looked at Pesach, they couldn't find one. Then they went to Shvuas, they couldn't find one. Then they checked out Hanukkah, they couldn't find one. Ah, Purim! Ishlari Ehu, Umatanas Levionim! Shlachmanas, Umatanas, wait, what? Who What's up to Elo? Oh, because Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed? Much deeper. The rabbis say, listen, that's great. Having a relationship with God is great. You want to have even a bigger relationship? All the parents in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. If I did something for you, and I did something for your child, it's much more important to you that I helped your child than I helped you. It's like, Rabbi, don't help me. Help my child. And when you find out that someone out there helped your child who's not a relative, who has nothing to do with your child, you're like, wow, this person must really care about me if they took care of my child. Says the rabbis, you have a relationship. Elul, Anila Daidi, you want to know something bigger? Help Hashem's children. Help his children that you don't even know. That is the greatest sign that you love God. 
And it's from the Zion Pasha Shul. I'm not going to get into it. So the Shulchan Aruch says, yes, it's very nice. I need to do the But you know what's even bigger? Ishlereyehu, if you help another Jew. I'll tell you a story. There was this man who had a beautiful carriage. And he was looking for horses to pull the carriage. And he went to Arabia. And he got a beautiful Arabian horse for $1,000. I'm sorry, $100,000. Then he went to Kentucky to find a thoroughbred for another $100,000. Then he went to Italy and he found an Italian steed for another $100,000. And then he went to Spain and he found this fantastic Spanish horse for another $100,000. He spent $400,000 on the most beautiful white horses. And he hitched them up to his carriage. And he's riding through the forest. And all of a sudden, they hit this bump, and the carriage ends up in a huge pile of mud with the horses together. And he's sitting in this carriage, stuck. He can't move. And he takes his whip out, and he whips the Arabian horse. And the Arabian horse is trying to get out of the mud, but it can't. Then he rips the Kentucky horse, and it tries. Each horse, he's hitting each horse. It doesn't go. Along comes a farmer with four donkeys in a broken-down little wagon. And he sees this man whacking his horses and they're not going. And he says, sir, that is not going to work. Those horses are never going to get you out of the mud. But my four donkeys, they'll pull you out in a second. Are you crazy? You're a farmer. You have four donkeys. What are they worth? $200 altogether? I got $400,000 invested in these horses. You think your four donkeys can do what my horses can't? He says, I'll have you out in two minutes. Unhitch your horses. So the rich man has no choice. He unhitches his horses and he hitches on the four donkeys. It's no ridiculous story. And now sitting in this carriage is the farmer and he pulls up his whip to whack the first donkey. And as he pulls up his whip to whack the first donkey, the four donkeys bolt out of the mud. They pull the carriage out of the mud in one second. And the rich man's like, what? I have $400,000 worth of the horse. And they, how did you do this? And he looks at the rich man and he says, your horses were all brought up. They were all, one was in Spain, one was in America. They don't know each other. So when you whip the Arabian horse, the Arabian horse tried to pull out, but the other three horses are like, this is not my business. He's not whipping me. Let him try to pull it out. Then you whip the horse from Kentucky, the Arabian horse says, thank God he's not hitting me anymore. Let him pull us out. He said, but my donkeys were born together in the same barn. They've been pulling my wagon together since they're young babies. They eat together. They sleep in the same barn. When I pull up, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, when I pull up my whip to hit one donkey, the other three are so close with each other, that they're not going to allow me to hit that donkey. So the minute I pull up my whip, all four of them go as fast as they can so that I shouldn't hurt that first donkey. They all feel each other's pain. It's a muscle, but it's a nayudika muscle. I forgot the name of the rub that I saw it from, but it's amazing because he says on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur for Klai Yisrael to be saved as a whole. If every Jew would feel the pain of another Jew. When Hashem wants to give a person Yisurim, He wants to give them pain. He's picking up the whip. If all the other Jews would feel it. 
And they would make sure that this person doesn't get hurt. He would pull us out of Golos and bring us into the base Hamikdash. The problem is that one is an Arabian horse. One lives in Baltimore. One lives in New York. One is in this shore. One is in that shore. One is in this community. One is in the other community. So it's not my problem that they're in trouble in, in, in Houston or they're in trouble in Florida. We're Hashem, we're in Baltimore. And in Brooklyn, we didn't have a hurricane. So I don't feel their pain. I don't feel their loss. So each community is only pulling by themselves. So the horse, the gullus of Kleistrow, was stuck in the mud. But we're all together. We all came out of the Holocaust together. We all came out of a triumph together. We all came out of the destruction of the base Hamidosh together. We were born in the same barn. We've been pulling the gullus together. How come when Hashem picks up the whip to hit one part of the Jews, we don't react? How come when there's 80% assimilation and our Jewish brethren and marrying Goyim, we don't react? Because I'm an Arabian horse. What do I care about a Kentucky horse? But if you feel the pain, another Jew will save the other Jew from the whip. And that's Ish Ehu. Umatanas Levyana. I want to tell you a story. Never said it before. Two stories, and we'll end with that. Sorry. Three stories. One story is an unbelievable story brought down in the Kav Yasha. I'll say it fast. From Rabbi Akiva. We all know who Rabbi Akiva was. He lost 24,000 Talmidim. And then he had five, four Talmidim, five Talmidim that turned around the whole Kali Yisrael. The rest of them. Unbelievable. So let's look, turn, learn about Rabbi Akiva for a minute. Pamachas Akiva, one day Rabbi Akiva was walking in the graveyard and he saw a man that was all black in soot and ashes. He was carrying a huge load of wood on his back. That a human being could never carry this much. A donkey or a horse couldn't carry this much. So it was a very strange thing that he was watching. I'm making you swear to tell me, are you human or a devil? Or what kind of creation are you? I used to be human. I already left this world. Every day, I cut this wood and I carry this wood. And they bring me into Gehenna. And they burn me in this wood. Three times every day. And this is my punishment every single day. To this dead person who was walking through the graveyard. What did you do? I did a very big Abeiro. He said to this Neshama, Did you hear in the other world that you are, that there's a way to get out of your punishment? I heard, When my child, my boy, will get up to the Torah, be called up to the Torah and say, They'll take me out of Gehenim and they'll stop burning me in the wood. Omale Rabbi Akiva, Hanafti Isha Ben, did you ever get married? Do you have a son? Omalai, 
After I died, my child was born. He told him, Arnuna, what's your wife's name? Shoshishka. What city did you live in? Lutkia. So right away, Rabbi Kiva went to this town. Then he told him, <coughs> and all the people in the town came out to him. Oma kulam Do you know this man? I have his name. Do you know this man? Oh, Oma, that guy. Shame, Rishon Yarkev. He should rot. That Russia, he should rot. Oma Why are you saying that about him? They said because he was a tax collector and he used to collect from the poor and he would let the rich get away with it. Amalah, Rabbi Kiva said to him, does he have a child? He said, yes. His wife gave birth after he died to a boy. Says the Kabayasha. Okay. Does the boy know how to learn? They said, no, he's a bum. He's, he's, he's in the butcher shop. He, he makes trouble. He said, okay, bring him to me. They brought him to him. <coughs> and when he saw him, he asked him, did you ever get a bris mila? He said, no, I'm an RL. I never had a bris mila. Miyad, Nitla, Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva took him, Umala, he gave him a bris mila. This, the main point's coming up. Vaishiva, Lufan of Lumay Torah. And he, Rabbi Akiva, started learning Torah with this boy. But he was learning disabled, ADHD. So he couldn't learn. Hayasayva, old Torah. He, he, he couldn't learn Torah. It didn't go in his head. He was very learning. He couldn't, very dysfunctional. He couldn't learn. And this, I have to do very, a lot of tshuva on this, Kavayasha, because what happened? Rabbi Akiva said, I'm going to fast 40 days for this child so that he should have the ability to learn. So he fasted 40 days on a child that he didn't even know. Yotzabas called, a voice came out of Shemayim, but Amran said, on this boy who's, was an Aral, whose father was a Russia, you're fasting 40 days for this boy? So he said to him, Rabbi Akiva said, yes, I'm fasting for this boy. In that case, I have to be your partner. God opened up his heart, and he taught him Torah, and he got up and said, Baruchu, and the father came out of Gehenna, he came to Rabbi Kiva in a dream, thank you so much that you saved me from the Dean of Gehenna. Why does this story make me depressed? Because I'm a Rebbe for 38 years, and there were so many kids in my class that couldn't learn. There were so many kids in my class that I tried and I tried. I didn't get through their heads. There's not one child in 38 years. I think I taught about 750 kids in eighth grade that I ever fasted for one day. Rabbi Kiva fasted 40 days for one boy. I taught hundreds and hundreds of boys. And the kids who didn't learn, I never in my life sat down and said, Hashem, I'm fasting. And therefore, you have to be a partner and open up his head. How many teachers in this room and principals in this room have ever fasted for a child that was struggling. If I'm wrong, let me know after this year. 40 days! For a kid, Rabbi Akiva didn't even know! It was a low-life kid from a very bad place! Till he forced Hashem to open his brain so he'd be able to learn. 
Is that what we do? When we see someone struggling, do we fast for them? I got up to a group of Jewish therapists with about 60 of them. I said, listen, I know all about therapy. I know the rules. You're not allowed to get enmeshed. You're not allowed to even give advice. It's a fantastic business. $275. And I'm like, should I marry her or not? How do you feel? What do you think? And the truth is the reason that, that the reason is it happens to be a very good reason. I like it is because if the therapist tells them what to do, then the, that person doesn't learn how to make decisions. It's sort of don't buy him fish, teach him how to fish. So it's very smart that they don't give him the answer and they supposed to teach them. So what do you think from everything I taught you? Is he good for you or not good for you? But you're not allowed to give anyone advice and you're not allowed to get enmeshed. Now, people who go to therapy, they need therapy, so they're going through hard times. And I have like 60 Jewish therapists in front of me, and I'm like, I want to know how many of you know the names of the ki- of the people that come to see you, their mother's name and their name. How many of you go home at night? I know you can't get enmeshed. How many of you go home at night and write down their names, and before you go to sleep, she's struggling with anxiety. She's struggling with depression. This girl is cutting. This girl is not eating. Outside of your therapy room, did you sit at night and cry? I'm going to say a capital to Hillam for the, my list. How many teachers in this room and how many principals in this room, how many people who work with kids in this room, including me, in their role book has the kid's name in Hebrew and their mother's name so that every night before you go to sleep, you can dive in for every child in your class that Hashem should open up their minds. If you're there and you do it, let me know. You know why? Because we're not four donkeys. Because we're not worried when the other person's in pain. We're an Arabian. We're great. We're a great teacher. We're unbelievable. We're, everyone loves us. I'm talking about myself. We're an Arabian student. But do I sit at night? Do I have the girl in my class who's getting 40s? Do I have her name? Do I have a list before I go to sleep? before I'm able to put my head on a pillow? Is my pillow soaked in tears for all the children that can't learn? If it isn't, then you're not Ishlari Ehu. You might be Anila Daidi, but you're not Ishlari Ehu. And Ishlari Ehu is a closer relationship to Hashem than Anila Daidi. So when they judge us, Coming Rosh Hashanah, I am begging everyone in this room, for your sake, not for my sake. I am begging you that for the next seven days, go to a school, find out and all the kids that are struggling, tell the principal, I'm willing to take a first grader or second grader, depending on your level of education, eighth grader, pre-wide kid, give me the kids you know now, you're a week in school, who's struggling, I will tutor them. Give me their parents' number, I will tutor them for free. For an hour, I will be their mentor. But you don't know me. Why would you do this for me? Because I'm part of that train that pulls carriages out of the mud. I'm part of the train that pulls kids out of the mud. So I want to help you. I want to show Hashem that I want to come back next year. And when they put that thing up on the thing and all the time I wasted, the, the defending angel is going to say, that's true, but you know what? She has a new chabrusa, Hashem. 
She has a little first grader who can't read, and she's giving her an hour, and if she doesn't do it, this poor kid, your daughter, Hashem, your daughter's not going to have anyone to help her. And you know why kids get depressed and have low self-esteem? That's the world I live in. You know why? You know why girls? Because if a girl doesn't do well in school, she's a failure. Guys, if you're good in sports, and you're a good ball player, even if you don't do well in school, they choose you first. You're not a failure. Sometimes you're doing hundreds in class, but you're the best ball player. He's the failure. He's the geek, and you're the guy everybody wants to be with because you score 30 points every game. But girls don't have that. So a girl's life, two things. is social. Do I have friends? And how am I doing in school? And if you can catch it in first grade and in second grade, where she's already not doing good in school, and she, you think you think they don't know what's going on. I had a girl in my office. I'm trying to get her into another school. And I asked to see her report card. And her report card, she's a seventh grader. Her report card is 90, 92. I never got those marks. And they're not taking her into the other school. And I'm like, I used to get a 92 the other way around. If I could put a 92 together with four marks, my parents were happy. Why are you so depressed? She said, Red Wallstein, don't you see the M next to my mark? I said, yeah, it's a modified mark. I, I know that. I also had that disability. I'm not good in vision. I'm much better auditory. So the teacher used to ask me the questions, and I knew the answers. But to write them down, I couldn't. And that's, that's cool. That's okay, 92M. It's modified. This girl, the seventh grader, looked up at me and said, no, Rabbi, M stands for moron. Not modified. You think kids don't know that they're struggling when you take them to resource room? You think they don't know? You think when you give them medicine and tell them it's a vitamin, they're stupid? They know that you're giving them Ritalin. They know what you're giving them. They know that they're different. And along comes this seminary girl, high school girl, mother, grandmother, father, grandfather, comes along and says, hi, I want to I want to be with you when, once a week and teach you for an hour. I have seen this. First graders who are doing miserable, they're already depressed in first grade because they can't write an A and they can't write a B and everything's dyslexic and everything's upside down. And then we send in a seminary girl to learn with her and she comes into class like, huh, everybody, you know who comes to visit me once a week? Miriam. And they're like, who's Miriam? Miriam is much older than all of you. She's a seminary girl. A seminary girl? Really? That's right. And you know what? She takes me out for ice cream too. Ha! You're taking a depressed kid who's walking around with a bulletproof suit with a big badge. Somebody older than me cares about me. It could be a grandmother. It could be a great-grandmother. It doesn't matter who you are. All these kids, you need to give one hour of your time to Hashem's children that are not yours. And then you're guaranteed another year of life. Because with all the schmutz he's going to put up on the wall, all the schmutz, Hashem is like, I hear you, Satan. She did this, she did that, she wasted time. I hear everything. But she's taking care of one of my girls. If she doesn't live, no one's going to take care of my baby. So Satan, I don't care what you have to say. You got seven days to do this. To find a kid, not yours, to help. It could be in shul, a boy that you see sitting by himself and he can't dive and he can't learn, whatever it is. And just say, I want to talk to your parents. I'll take you out once a week. I'll take you to a game. We'll go talk. 
You don't understand the power of a minute, of an hour, the power of time, the power of time, which is love. We don't have much more time before the judgment to do the Ishtari Ehu. The Chachamim were brilliant. They're like, forget about Mors Chusim than Averis. I don't think it's going to happen. Coming to Hashem as his princess, as his queen, as taking care of his children. And you'll walk out with another year of life. And that's why it's not Ishla Hashem. It's, it's Anila Daidil Daidili. Not Anila Hashem or Hashem Lee. So I want to end with a story, amazing story to show you the level of Ben Adam Lechavero. And we'll end with this. <coughs> there was a young girl, Baruch Water. You can drink it. It can cause a hurricane. Everything that Hashem created has many sides to it. Unbelievable Bria. Water. Nothing in this world can live without water. You can live without sunlight, plants on the bottom of the sea. Nothing can live without water. Baruch Hashem. Bless you Hashem. Shahakal Everything is your word. Whether the water is going to be a hurricane or an ice skating rink or snowflakes or something to drink. It's all you. It's all the same. There's no difference. Okay. So here's the story. There was a young girl. She was 12 and a half years old. And she was walking in B'nai Barak. <coughs> she was crying hysterically. And this old rabbi walks over to her and says, Shefala, why are you crying? She says, I just came out of the true story. I just came out of the hospital. And the doctor told my mother she has cancer. And the, maybe she's going to live a year. Rabbi... I always dreamt that my mother would walk me down to the chuppah. But now it seems I'm only 12 years old that she's not going to live that long. And the rabbi looked down at this little girl and said, I give you a haftacha, I promise you, not a bracha. I promise you, your mother will walk down the chuppah with you together. Okay? The mother is living and living and living. Baruch Hashem, Rafur Shalema, Nais. And now the girl turns 18. She's in B'nai Brak. They read her a shidduch, the best boy in Panovich. <coughs> and she says, I can't go out. I'm not ready. Let my younger sister go out. She had nine siblings. Let my younger sister go out. Okay, all right. Sister goes out. I'm still not ready. Second sister goes out. To make a long story short, 20 years. She doesn't date. Her mother is freaking out. B'nai Barak is going crazy. She's a beautiful girl. She's a from girl. What do, you, what do you mean you're not dating? Not dating. I don't feel well. I don't know how to be married to a man. I got anxiety. I can't. 20 years later, after everyone's married except her youngest sister, her mother relapses. And her youngest sister says, I am not getting married before you. She was 20 years difference between the two of them. I'm not getting married unless you get married first. And the older girl who's now 40 says to her younger sister, listen, mommy is very sick. I don't think it's fair if you wait for me. I don't seem to be able, I don't think I'm going to get married. I need you to go out so at least mommy can be by your wedding. So she said, okay, I hear you. She went out, she got married. And now this 41-year-old girl is left by herself. She goes to the Shatchan from 21 years before. Is that boy in Panovich that you read me still single? True story. I don't know. I'm not out of the shotgun business for a while, but I'll check it out. She goes to Panovich. Yeah. 
He went out. This didn't work. That didn't work. All kinds of stuff. Broken engagement. Nothing. Didn't work. He's still single. Set him up with me. Shuts him up. They like each other. They get married. Her mother, who was very, very sick, they wheel down to the chuppah with her. Walks her down to the chuppah. Sheva brachas, three days. Three days after the marriage, in the middle of Sheva brachas, the mother dies. In the middle of her Sheva brachas. They're sitting Shiva. And all of them are sitting there, and they're sitting, and they're talking, and they're like, you know, it's so good that mommy saw you get married before she died. It's so good that Hashem did that. But you put mommy through 20 years of aggravation. Why didn't you go out? This boy was there for you all the time. She said, sisters and brothers, I never told you the story. But when I was 12 years old, there was an old rabbi that I met. I was crying because that was the first time mommy was diagnosed with cancer. And he told me that he guaranteed me that mommy would walk down to my chuppah. And I knew that if I got married first, she would die and she would not walk down any of your chuppahs. So I wanted to make sure that all of you had her by your weddings. So I waited to be last. Who was the rabbi? And she said, the chazainish. It was the chazainish that gave her that bracha. 21 years, nine times she went to the weddings of her siblings. She went through people saying that there's something wrong with her and she's not normal because she was one of the four that pulled the carriage. And she didn't want to have her mother walk down by her and not by her sisters. That's the level we need to bring to Rosh Hashanah. That's the level that we all have to bring that the other person, even though they're not my relative, but their pain is my pain. And even if it doesn't help, you know, Eo was punished with terrible pain because when Paro decided to hurt the Jewish people, he asked for a vote. And he had three people, three advisors. Yisro ran away. Why did he run away? Because he realized that he's against throwing kids into the Nile River. Balak said, kill him. Paro said, kill him. So Eo said, I lost. Even if I vote, save the Jews, there are already two votes to kill them. So why would I say anything at this point? So he, he was quiet. He didn't say anything. So Hashem punished him. Punished him with the biggest tsaras that a human being could ever have. The tsaras, the Yisurim of Eov. And the rabbis asked, why'd you punish him? He didn't say anything. He realized he's outvoted. What's he going to vote for? It's a waste of time. And why was the punishment pain? And the answer is that when a person's in pain, he screams out. Does the screaming help the pain? No. You got a broken leg and you're in pain and you're screaming. Does your broken leg get fixed? No. So why do people scream when they're in pain? And the answer is because it hurts. Even if the screaming doesn't help, it hurts. 
the punishment for Eov was that even though you couldn't change the judgment, you should have said something because you should have felt the pain of the Jewish children that were thrown into the Nile. So many of us say, what's the use of me screaming and me davening? I can't change that person's life anyway. And the answer is, Hashem wants to know if a donkey, a whip just being picked up to hit a donkey causes all the donkeys to run, even though you feel you can't help that person, why doesn't it hurt? Why doesn't it hurt to see a young couple get divorced? Even though it's not your young couple. Why doesn't it hurt to see kids on the street that are off the derech and not keeping Shabbos? Why doesn't it hurt? You're like, because well, I can't do anything about it. I get it all the time. I'm Wallstein. I can't, I'm not a kid But you know how to cry when it hurts you? Even though crying doesn't help. Because it hurts. Why aren't you crying with Shoshan and Yom Kippur for all the pain of Klai Yisrael? Even though you're not a therapist and you're not a Kirov specialist, who cares? Why doesn't it hurt? If we want Mashiach, ladies and gentlemen, we need to show him this Rosh Hashanah, there's so much pain in Klai Yisrael, so much disease and cancer, and so many children, ain't Mokom, ain't Bayes ain't Shames. There's no family that doesn't have a kid, that's Mechal Shabbos, that's, that's off the derech, whether it's a cousin or a second cousin or much closer. So many sick children, so many broken marriages, so Ashina crisis, so many girls, Want to know why I'm crying? I'll tell you why I'm crying. This past Sunday, I spoke to a group of girls. Almost a hundred of them. That were from ages 38 to 50 single. And why did I speak to them? Because it's an organization that's trying to raise money so that even though they are so old to freeze their eggs, so that one day they get married at 45, they still have a chance, even though they're not producing eggs anymore. But they could use their old eggs to have children. Why aren't we feeling that pain of being lonely, a single girl, going home every night, going to weddings, and going to their bed alone, and feeling different and hearing Emir Hashem by you for 20 years and nothing happened? Why are we crying? Why are we davening? But Rabbi Wallstein, I'm not a shatchen. So what? It hurts. You cry. Shoshani Yom Kippur, we need to cry. It has to become Ishlere Ehu. And if we do that, and Hashem sees that, and He sees that you care about His other children, then He knows you love Him. And that's us. He'll pull this carriage called Gullus, out of the mud called Gullus, and bring us to your shalim. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.